Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Riley Weaver. I'm one of the ministers here at the church. It's great to be with you today. When I was in college, I met a girl named Kayla, and uh, we went to church together. We served together. We had the same group of friends. And as these things go, after a while, some of my buddies came to me, and they were like, hey, Riley, we think you should ask Kayla out. We think you guys would be good together. And truth be told, I was afraid to ask her out. I had no game, and I started making up excuses. I'd say things like, well, you know, she's pretty, but I don't know if I like her like that. Total lie. And, uh, you know, I'd say things like, well, you know, we're friends, and, you know, we're, all of our friends are friends, and if she doesn't like me, it's just going to be awkward. So this went on for a while. I was really indecisive. Honestly, I think there was a point in my life where my mom thought I was never going to get married, and uh, it all changed one day at church. Somebody told me that Kayla was going to be moving away at the end of the semester, so I realized, okay, if I do not do this now, I am going to lose my opportunity. So I finally got the guts to do it. I followed her into the parking lot after church. Creepy. Yeah, I know. Uh, some people call it stalking. I call it strategy. <laughs> Worked for me. But anyway, I caught up to her, and I was like, hey, do you want to go out to dinner sometime? Thankfully, she said yes. And this last Saturday, we celebrated our six-year wedding anniversary. So, yeah. It, it worked for me. It worked for me. We take risks when the reward is worth it. I was afraid to ask Kayla out. But when I realized I was going to lose my opportunity, I finally got the bravery to do it. What if I told you that God wants all the people in our community and around the world to know him, and he wants you to go and tell them? Matthew 28, 19 is the Great Commission. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. And in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. So we're supposed to tell people about Jesus. But here's the problem. Sometimes sharing our faith seems like asking someone out on a date. We're like, ah, I, I don't know. You know, it's going to be awkward. Or if I mess this up, they're never going to talk to me again. And sometimes I hear other fears. Fears like, well, I just don't know enough. What if they ask me a question that I'm not prepared to answer? And I understand those things because I've been there too. There is a risk, but I promise the reward is worth it. In Matthew 13, 44 through 46, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. When you share your faith, there is a risk. But the reward is seeing people that you care about come to know Jesus. And it's not just knowing that they're going to go to heaven one day. It's knowing that they're going to have hope and peace in this life now. And that's more valuable than anything. Like Luke said, today we're going to take a break from our normal sermon series. And we're actually going to be talking about 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. This is where the Apostle Paul, who's probably the greatest evangelist ever, shares his strategy for how he connects with people in order to share the gospel with them. So this is 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Paul says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. 
to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means possible, I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. So Paul says, I am free and I belong to no one. And that's because as followers of Jesus, we have freedom. We are free from the laws of sin and death because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. But we're also free from legalistic religious rules. That's our freedom in Christ. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul is explaining how we should use these freedoms as followers of Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 9, what we just read, he's talking about how we should be willing to sacrifice some of our freedoms in order to connect with people who don't yet know Jesus. And Paul gives us a, a couple examples of how he does that. The first thing he says is, I've become like a Jew to win the Jews. So Paul was born a Jew, actually. He was a Jewish religious teacher called a Pharisee. But when Paul began to follow Christ, he left those things behind. He was no longer bound by those religious rules. But what Paul's saying here is that when he's with Jews, he resubmits himself to some of those religious rules because he wants to connect with them. He wants doors to open so that he can share the gospel with them. After this, Paul talks about those who are not under the law. That would have been people like the Greeks. He says, when I'm with those who are not under the law, I become like one not under the law. So Paul, being a believer of Jewish background, he would have grown up with a very specific culture. He would have dressed a certain way. He would have prayed a certain way. He would have ate certain, or sorry, he would have been forbidden from eating certain foods. So when he's with people like the Greeks who have a very different culture from him, there's probably things where he's like, I'm not sure about this. But he's saying he does some of those things because he wants to be able to connect with those people, to share the gospel with them. One thing that I want to mention, I think this is really important to keep in mind, is Paul says that he became like those who are not under the law, but was still under Christ's law. Paul did not say he became like a pagan to win the pagans. He did not say he became like a thief to win the thieves. Paul was culturally relevant, not morally relative. I'm going to say that again. Paul was culturally relevant, not morally relative. When we interact with people who are different than us, especially those who share different values than us, we have got to stay true to Christ. Paul ends this section by saying, I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. So Paul tells us what, what he did. I'm all things to all people. But then he says why he did it. For the sake of the gospel, that he may share in its blessings. Paul wanted to faithfully serve his Lord Jesus. But he also wanted to see people's lives transformed as they learned to follow him. When we read, I've become all things to all people, so that by all means possible I might save some, I think it's natural for us to think of overseas missionaries, people that go around the world to tell people about Jesus. We think of the sacrifices they make, like moving to another country and sacrificing some of the rights they have as American citizens. We think about the ways they have to learn new cultures and new languages, and that's really, really hard. Sometimes they have to eat foods that they're not familiar with. And sometimes missionaries even dress in different clothing because they want to be more accepted by the local people. 
one of the greatest blessings of my life has been traveling around the world and meeting people from around the world. And over the years, some of my friends have given me different clothing from around the world. I love this stuff, so I got a couple pictures I want to share you. Uh, the first, uh, so that's me and Kayla, the girl I followed out into the parking lot. Um, that is some Nigerian clothing given to us by one of our good friends, Otumba. Uh, this is a Ghanaian fugu. It's popular in northern Ghana, worn by men there. Last year on a mission trip, I was given that uh, by some local chiefs at the dedication of a medical clinic that the church funded. And, um, you know, last year when I, I, I preached in that, actually, when I got back from that mission trip, and somebody told me I looked like Lord Farquaad from Shrek. Yeah. Uh, I want you all to know that I'm definitely still bitter about that. Uh, third one. So uh, this is probably my favorite. This is a Saudi Arabian phobe given to me by my friend Abdul Aziz. I think I pull that off really well. So I really like this stuff. It's okay if you think I'm a little crazy. Sometimes we see the things that missionaries do and we think, I can't do that. I can't make those kinds of sacrifices. We read Paul saying, I'm all things to all people. We think, I can't do that. I'm just trying to connect with these people. You know, my, my grandkids, my neighbors, how do I do that? God may not have called you to be an overseas missionary, but he has called you to represent him wherever you go. And that's probably going to involve trying new things and sacrificing some preferences and some comforts. That's what we see in the ministry of Paul. I want to go back to talking about our missionaries. Sending missionaries is a really high priority at this church. And because of that, we want you to know our missionaries. They're an important part of our church family. But we also want you to know our missionaries because every time you give to this church, a portion of your offering goes to support them. So we want you to know that your money's being invested wisely in them, but we also want you to know that when you give to this church, you're giving to something so much bigger than what happens here on this building. So we've got a special guest today. Her name is Jill. Jill, would you mind on coming up? Please join me in welcoming Jill. Jill is one of our missionaries. She lives in New Zealand, and Jill actually hasn't been to the States since 2018. Uh, when COVID happened, New Zealand locked down, she kind of got stuck there. So when we found out that she was going to be here with us this summer, we invited her to be with us today. I've been to New Zealand to visit Jill before, and one of the things that I love about her is she's great at connecting with all different types of people. When I read all things to all people, I think that Jill does this really, really well. So there's a lot that we can learn from her experience. So Jill, thanks for being here with us today. Kiora, kiora kato katoa. And tell us what that means. Um, that is hello, hello to all of you. It's an inclusive statement that includes includes the crowd. Yeah. And that's it, Te Reo Maori, the indigenous Reo, yeah. indigenous language <laughs> of New Zealand. Um, so yeah, there are some people in this room that know you. Some have known you for a long time since mm -hmm. your days as a missionary in Zimbabwe. Some people here probably meeting for you for the first time. Can you just introduce yourself? Oh, hello. Hello, Bill and Carolyn. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Hoosier. I grew up in Anderson, Indiana, in a really good church that discipled young people and had missionaries in our VBSs and our camps and were real intentional about, um, about raising us to know the Lord. Um, I was born in Lafayette, Indiana. Are there any Purdue fans here? Okay. Good. And I went to Indiana University... 
I've never known whether that's an advantage in raising support for the mission field or whether I just alienate half the crowd. I don't know. But I, I studied journalism at Indiana University. I thought I wanted to be a journalist and influence the world through communication you know, that way, maybe a National Geographic photographer or a writer of some sort. But I realized when I was at Indiana University that I couldn't quite hold my own against some of the political science, the psychology, other of the journalists. I couldn't defend my faith as well as I wanted to. So I transferred to Johnson Bible College, as it was called then, and I thought that a year would get me up to speed and apologetics, and then I would be able to go out and conquer the world. As a 19-year-old, I didn't realize that you couldn't do that in a year. And in fact, it's taken me about 40 years to, uh, to get up to speed and know, know how to respond sometimes. So I went to Johnson Bible College, and then God is good, and I landed in Zimbabwe, Africa, and I was there for 13 years. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So Jill has actually been a missionary for 39 years, which is awesome. Can we clap for that? Yeah. Now, no one is doing the math to figure out my age, are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you've been a missionary. Now you live in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a, bit, a little bit about where you live, who you live with, just more mm -hmm. about yourself. Um, I've lived in different contexts in New Zealand. For a while, we had a six-bedroom house where we took in women at risk, um, a variety of different stories and situations. Um, but over time, you know, we've rented here and we've rented there and whatever. And now um, there's a yellow Labrador that lives with three women. And um, so Jane and Stephanie and I live with Louie. And um, Louie is one of my secret agents in my ministry. He's a pretty awesome dog and he does really good things for us. So we now live in a dodgy part of town, but on the best street in the dodgy part of town. And right across from a Mormon facility, you know, in, in West Auckland. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is a picture of Auckland. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. place. So Jill, um, I want to ask you about your ministry in New Zealand. So uh, a second part to this question, though, is I think when a lot of us Americans think about New Zealand, we think of like this dream vacation destination. So why does New Zealand need missionaries? And also, what's your ministry in New Zealand? New Zealand is 97% unchurched. I, I want to say that again, 97% unchurched. That's it's a daunting yeah. statistic, isn't it? New Zealand is full of, of lovely, amazing, but self-sufficient, um, DIY, autonomous, stand-on-my-own-two-feet kind of, kind of Kiwis, you know. And, and they're great people, but they're not likely to think that they need anything of God or religion or Jesus or faith or any of, of that um, until what they say, the wheels fall off, you know, until life gets really difficult and hard. Um, so you have all these lovely Kiwis and New Zealanders scattered through, sprinkled through with a whole bunch of immigrants. Um, Auckland itself, a city of about two million people, um, not huge by world standards, but the biggest in New Zealand, 40% um, of the Aucklanders are foreign born. So we have 40% are foreign born and then their children kind of straddle both cultures and it creates a very rich, diverse kind of a context in which to do ministry. Over 220 languages are spoken in Auckland. So that tells you a little bit. You never, you never struggle to figure out where you want to go out to dinner um, because you've got the whole world to choose from, you know, whenever you want to go out. Um, my ministry primarily focuses on, on three areas, the church, the campus, and the community. 
I'm passionate about discipleship, helping people to walk intimately in a life-giving way with Jesus Christ. That's what I'm all about. So I work with the Shore Community Church um, there in Auckland, and um, then I work on campuses, university campuses. So Massey University is a big state public university, and I've been chaplaining there for about 20 years. And that's where Louis comes in very, very handy, because if you just see me walking across campus, you're going to say, oh, yeah, there's that lady again. But when you see me walking across campus with that beautiful yellow Labrador, he's only four years old, so he's full of beans. And he's, he just, he's a magnet. His superpower is he's a magnet. Students will divert from wherever they were going to come over and pet Louie or play with him or have a cuddle. And his other superpower is that he makes me nearly invisible. Because when he, they're engaging with him and talking to him, you know, and I butt in and say, you know, oh, this is Louie and what's your name? And what are you studying? And, oh, I'm, I'm also an immigrant to New Zealand. Where are you from? And I get a little bit of their story. And then that helps me the next time when I can have a conversation with them. And, and so it goes. So Louis comes in pretty handy. In the community, I work with refugees, uh, helping to resettle former refugees, and with the disability community in a really exciting project, helping people with disabilities fully participate in their places of worship, fully belong, and be... be using all their gifts, talents, and abilities, you know, for their places of worship as well. So, so yeah, it, also the community garden just up the road, it's a great place to work beside people. And, and some people are there for food. Many people are just there for connection and for community. So it's a great place to, um, to be a gardener and have fun with what I enjoy, but also just to create relationships. Yeah, uh, I love that. I love that. So I just spent some time talking about 1 Corinthians 9, mm -hmm. you know, all things to all people that I might save some. You're a missionary. You connect with a lot of different people. I feel like this is something that you try to do like every day. So do you have any thoughts about 1 Corinthians 9? Yeah, Corinth was a fascinating place. It was a very diverse context and culture, so I think of it in comparison with Auckland to a certain degree. It was a big place of trading, and so many different people were coming and going. It was a wealthy city. And so you saw the picture of Auckland. You know, I don't live in a third world kind of a continent, except when it rains and then the internet goes out. So we're thinking it's maybe second world. Mm. But it's a big city, you know, so we've, we've got all the stuff. Um, and Corinth also had refugees, many refugees who came. And so Paul was writing this letter into a church where there was lots of diversity, potentially lots of conflict. And it was kind of a contentious kind of a place. And Maybe some of us have experienced some of that in the last several years, you know, where we're, you know, we're challenged by, by different things. And so he was writing this letter back in, and he was encouraging them to, by his own example. So the, the translation you used, perfectly good translation, awesome translation. I use that for many years. But I found it was kind of daunting to think, how can I become all things to all people? You know, in the older translation, I become all things to all men. Well, I can't. I can't do that. But the New Living Translation says, I seek common ground with everyone. Oh, I, I can do that. I can find common ground with almost anybody. I went to CIY as a kid. I made a very significant decision at CIY when I was a teenager. So I celebrate all of you, and I celebrate the fact that you're even in church today when, when you've had such a busy week and you're tired. So... I seek common ground with everyone, and when I find even a little bit of common ground with someone, then I explore a little bit further their story and share my story until I find a little bit more common ground. And then eventually, maybe we can sit down and have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and, and explore our stories a little bit more. And 
yeah, so the, the whole idea is just meeting people, you know, where they are, and that's what Paul was encouraging us to do. All, at the last part of that passage, he did all things for the sake of the gospel. I do anything and everything I can so that I can share the good news of Jesus Christ with whoever's in front of me. That's the objective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So making this a little bit more practical, how do you build common ground with all these people you interact with? Mm. One person at a time. Um, There is no script. There is no formula. There's no one-size-fits-all with any of this. It's whoever's in front of me. And I think that's a respectful approach. You know, if I try to use a formula or a script and, you know, I apply it... It might be easy to to think of it that way, but it's not going to be effective, and I don't think it's very respectful. There's a Turkish proverb, and it sounds beautiful in Turkish, and I'm sorry I can't do that for you. Um, But in English, it is, when the truth is heavy, we must first build a very, very strong bridge. When a conversation is going to get into tricky territory, it might be awkward, it might be hard, it might be... When the truth is heavy we must first build a very, very strong bridge. And the way I do that is by leaning in to the person in front of me. Not too far, you know, keep our our social distancing, but lean in. Listen. I try to learn from them, not just be the teacher, the one who has the the, the answers, but listen. So lean in and, and listen and learn. And then love them, even if at the beginning the only love I have is the love of Jesus, you know, as a conduit through me maybe, but then growing in my love and appreciation for, for who they are. So as a, with the refugee community, I can do that by being a sister, by being a, a daughter, an auntie, by being another foreigner, because I'm a foreigner in New Zealand, an immigrant as well. That's a point of connection that I can make with them, with my family being so far away. With people with disabilities, I try to, to help sit beside and work with and co-design strategies with them for how they can be more included and belong and participate in their faith communities. And I'm learning so much. This project has just been going for about a year and a half now, and I've learned, I've learned heaps that I was so ignorant of and inconsiderate in so many different ways. So, so listening, learning creates common ground. Empathy? Empathy cannot be overrated. We so need empathy today. And you know, in our schools, our communities, our workplaces, tra- intersections that we go through, you know, just everywhere. Justice. Justice is huge. And if I connect with people on the level of the justice, something they care about deeply. I heard a saying this last week that I just thought was so profound. This man said, I don't stand on issues so much as I walk with people. And I think those are, I always want to keep the person in focus, the person who's in front of me. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Well, I think the thing that sticks out to me the most about what you're saying is just your, your patience with people. You know, you're not expecting immediate results. You're journeying with people, which is, which is awesome. You've told me a story about your friend. Um, Tell this story to everybody because it's awesome. And we got a picture up here too. Okay. So in the midst of the disability project that I, that I get to work in, that I've been invited into, um, I've met lots of young people, lots of amazing people who have courage and strength that I can't even imagine. Um, and one of them was Nia, and Nia is Samoan, so her family originally comes from the islands of Samoa, just to the, the north and the east of New Zealand. And um, she's grown up in New Zealand, and so she straddles both cultures pretty well. And, but within the Samoan culture, shame is a big thing, and people really get squashed by this shame. And it doesn't just affect you as an individual, but it's a communal culture, so it affects your whole family. 
And so Nia's legs um, never fully developed. They're, they're very small. And um, so she uses a wheelchair to get around, and she just does so with, with such courage and, um, and joy. Um, so she's told me her story several times. And the first time she told me the story, we were still wearing masks at the time. And I was so glad because it in, her story just infuriated me. I was just angry. And, and wearing the mask masked you know, my emotion as well. And so she was able to tell her whole story. And a couple of times since then, during the course of the project, she's told the story. And she's told me more of the story. She went to church. She was invited to church by her mom. There was going to be a healing service, and her mom really, 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 really wanted her to go because partially her mom probably wants her to be healed, but her mom is probably also concerned about as she gets older, will she still be able to care for Nia? So I only assume the best motives for the mom, and I want to assume the best motives for the preacher, the minister at the church, but Nia was lifted up into the church building because they don't have ramps. It's an older building in the south part of Auckland, and they don't have ramps because the minister says that would undermine their theology of healing. So she was lifted up into the building by four burly men, and she taken down to the front. And the service started, and the healing time came, and the prayers were quite demonstrative and loud. And at the end, she was exhorted to get up out of her wheelchair and walk. And she said, Jill, I'd done that a couple of times, and I stumbled and I just fell. So she said, this time I didn't, even, I didn't even get up. And she said, and I could feel the frustration of the preacher, and she felt it as anger. I don't know that he was feeling angry, but she felt it as anger, and he was frustrated and embarrassed, and she could look out and see her family, and they were embarrassed and just feeling more and more shame. It's like she's a rolling example of shame on her family everywhere she goes. And so she was feeling that for them, and she was up there in front of everybody and just so embarrassed and so humiliated. And she just really wanted to get out of there. But she can't, because she would have to be lifted out the same way she was lifted in. And she said, Jill, this story might help you understand a little bit about why I don't want to go to church and why I don't have a really good relationship with Jesus Christ, why I'm kind of angry with God, because everybody tells me he's angry with me and my family is cursed, and that's why I have this disability. She said, so you get the distance between me and God? Yeah, I do. And so in time, we continue the project, we continue the project, and we're doing things, and maybe the bridge was being built, and maybe the trust was growing in our relationship. And so on the day that the picture was taken, um, Nia, I, I arrived at the office, and I was leaving some things there, and Nia said, where's Louie? It's hardly ever, hi, Jill. It's almost always, where's Louie? And so where's Louie? And I said, he's out in the car, but I didn't bring him in because I thought the other dog might be here, and they create chaos, and nobody gets anything done. So it, she said, well, okay, let's finish our work, and then I want to go out and see Louie. So she rolls out there, and I open the back of my station wagon, and she's just holding Louie's face because he's trying to lick hers, and, you know, they're just having that. And then she says, without having to look at me, Louie comes in handy, I tell you. Without having to look at me, she says, Jill, I've seen therapists, I've seen doctors and counselors, she said, I think it's time for me to rethink my understanding of who God is. It's time for me to reframe who I understand him to be, who people have told me that he is, because I really want to go forward from me. I, I, I need to go forward with God. And she said, will you disciple me? In 40 years of ministry, I've had people say, would you have a cup of tea with me? Can we meet up? Can we have a chat? I'd like to talk, you know. But 
I haven't often had people just outright say, will you disciple me? And again, I tried to keep a straight face. You know, young people don't like you to freak out at the wrong times. And so I tried to keep a straight face. Fortunately, she was looking at Louie. And I said, mm, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And I said, but you know I'm going to the States, and I'm going to be gone for a few months, and, um, you know, that there was going to be this gap here. And she said, okay, when are you back? And I said, well, I, I get back on October 1st. And she said, okay, October 3rd. Plenty of time to rest. Plenty of time. Jet lag, no big deal. You'll be fine. And so I hope you will pray for Nia, and please pray for me, that um, as we meet on the 3rd and as we meet in subsequent weeks after that, I always think of it like a, a television series in a way. You know, it's never one conversation. It's episodes in whole seasons over time that I get to walk beside beautiful people like Nia and just help her reframe the character and nature of God. And so that's what Luke mentioned and what Riley has mentioned. Some of the money that is collected and goes toward your global partners around the world they do all kinds of, that money does all kinds of things, but one thing it's going to do is it's going to pay for Nia's taxi because Nia can't drive and she can't get there easily, you know, to our meetups, you know, from October onward. It pays for the mobility taxi for her to get there. It'll pay for the cups of tea and for lots of other things that, that are part of doing ministry all around the world. So that makes you guys partners in what's going to happen. No, thanks, Jill. That's a powerful story. And to all of you, make sure to put Jill's meeting on October 3rd on your prayer calendars. So, Jill, how does your strategy as a missionary overlap with what we're trying to do here in Plainfield? Because I think there's a lot of people sitting out here who they want to connect with their people, too. Mm -hmm. Strategy. Um, if you can call love a strategy, then then that's got to be the starting, that's got to be the starting place, doesn't it? But the other thing is, what is the best thing you know about Jesus? Those of us who are believers, those of us who have committed our lives to Christ, what is the best thing you know about Jesus? Why do you persevere in this relationship, in this walk with Jesus? Where does the hope come from, the joy, the peace, you know, that, that gets us through all of the different things? What is the best thing you know about Jesus? And how do you put that into a personal, authentic, hopefully fairly concise story that nobody can argue against? Being missional is not geographically specific. It's not about, you know, where we are, where we go, or the complexity of where I live. It's the people beside you. It's the person in front of you. And sharing your story with them in such a way that, that they get it and that it, it's contagious in a way. I call that gospel fluency. I can't possibly learn 220 languages. You know, that's just, that's just big. But if I learn the gospel well enough, and the gospel is what I know and love about Jesus, and if I'm able to be an expert in that, I don't have to be an expert in Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam and Baha'i and Sikh and Judaism and all the rest of it. I just need to know my story with Jesus so well that I can tell it in a way that is attractive and is engaging and makes them want some of that. And so, what is the best thing that you know about Jesus? And share that. If that's a strategy, I think it's more of a lifestyle. It's, um, it's beautiful and it's a privilege. Oh, absolutely. 
Jill, it's been really great to have us have you with us today. I'm sure that there are people out here who'd love to connect with you moving forward. What are the best ways for them to do that? Well, there's this thing called Facebook. And love it or hate it, it's a lot easier for me to keep a Facebook page up to date than it is for me to try to manage a website on my own. If I manage a website, it takes me away from my ministry. So, so we have Facebook. We also have some flyers up here that Bob printed up for us. And um, you could come up and pick up one of those. And if you want to be on the newsletter you know, list that comes out sporadically, then you get more stories and pictures and updates and prayer requests. A lot of the pictures include Louie. So I don't have grandchildren, so, you know, Louie is the thing that features. But, the, but through social media, Instagram, and it's Integrity and Faith is the name of the Facebook page. And it's because I want integrity and faith, but I also want integrity in my faith. And so that's the, the name that I use that's not easily found just by Googling. But those of you who know, know. So. Great. Thank you, Jill. Would you, can you join me in thanking Jill for being here today? I hope you received the bread and the juice on the way in because we are about to participate in a practice that's full of meaning. Today we've talked about the Apostle Paul. He said, I'm all things to all people so that by all means possible, I might save some. And that was Paul's passion. He traveled around the world telling people about Jesus. And eventually Paul gave his life for the gospel. But Paul's ministry was modeled after the ministry of Jesus. I mean, think about it. Jesus was all things to all people so that we could be saved. I mean, Jesus, God in flesh, the creator and savior of the universe, he came down to heaven to live life as a human. And during his time on earth, he experienced all the things that we experience, the joy, the pain, everything that comes to be with human. But he still lived a sinless life. He lived a life on mission, and he showed us a better way to live. And ultimately, Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and the sins of the whole world. And because of his death and his resurrection, we can be a part of God's family. So that's why we take communion each week. The bread is the body of Christ, which was broken for us on the cross. The juice is his blood, which was spilled for us on the cross. God wants us to know him. I mean, just think about communion. This ritual shows us that God wants us to know him. We can't see God, but we can see the bread and the juice. We can taste the juice. We can taste the bread. We can feel this. We can smell it. God wants us to know him. So let's take communion together. We'll start with the bread. This is the body of Christ broken for Let's take the juice. This is the blood of Christ spilled for you. Let's pray. Father God, creator and sustainer of the universe, I thank you for sending your son Jesus here to this earth. He was everything to all of us. And through his death and his resurrection, we can have new life. So I thank you for that. God, I thank you for the wisdom of the Apostle Paul. I thank you for Jill and her experience, which she shared with us today. 
God, as we go out this week, I pray that you'll help us to seek common ground with those around us. First, just because we want to show them your love, but also, God, because we want them to know who you are. I say this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.